Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Scott of Brighter Strategies. You can find Liz's full bio in the show notes. Liz and I talk about the research she recently completed with the Center for Nonprofit Advancement about how nonprofit leaders are managing and staying sustainable during COVID. And as many of you have probably had to do, these organizations have had to shift to delivering their service virtually. Many have lost funding, Others have lost their volunteer base with older people having to be more extra cautious about the virus. And many are having to really think their strategic plan. All while the demand for their services and for many services has skyrocketed with the economic downturn. Well, welcome, Liz. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Carol. I'm excited to be here. So just to get started, um, can you tell people what, what drew you to the work that you do? What, what really motivates you and what would you say is your why? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I think for me, there's a little why and then there's a big why. And I'll start with the little why. My undergraduate and most of my formative studies are in sociology and in macro theory. And so for me, it's always been really interesting to understand why organizations, why people, why groups behave the way that they do. And so that's been something that has stuck with me through my education as well as as I went into the workforce, particularly my first job out of college. And I wondered, why do people work the way they do? You know, why is this happening the way it is? And then the bigger why is as I advanced in my career, I began to realize that the nonprofit community the nonprofits are such a, they're a fabric of our community and they touch everybody's lives. And in the nonprofit space, at least at the time when I started Writer Strategies, there weren't a lot of groups that were focused on building capacity in that space. Particularly being here in DC, things tend to be a little bit more federal government oriented. And the nonprofit sector is huge and it, it really impacts the daily lives of all of us. And so I thought, you know, could I combine the two? Could I combine my passion of capacity building and development and nonprofit work? And I was really lucky and was able to do that. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about that, you know, why do people work the way they do? I think that's what drew me to the work as well. Um, I was already in the sector and I think many people come into the sector um, wanting to work on some cause or some issue that they find really important. And certainly that drew me as well. But over time, it was more thinking about the function of how people work, um, you know, always hoping that they're doing good work, but thinking about the function and, and how to help them be more effective over time. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely relate to that uh, motivation. Yeah, we always talk about that our role as consultants is to help build internal capacity so that they can go out and do whatever that mission work is. And there are so many organizations that are doing really great things. And, you know, so our focus is on helping them shore up, do you have the right people, the right planning, the right processes so that you can be uh, sustainable, so that you can actually impact your community the way you want 
And those are really important questions. And talking of sustainability, you've done some research recently on nonprofit leadership and its intersection with the with organizational co- culture during COVID. Um, what would you say are some of your key findings in that research? So we had the opportunity to partner with the Center for Nonprofit Advancement, and we did a study that went out to 255 nonprofits here in the DC area. And what we found is that as COVID was rolling out and all of the the murders that were happening over the summer and the racial unrest, that organizations were really struggling trying to figure out where their placeholds should be. And so what we heard was that there was a substantial loss of funding for most organizations. They suddenly were in a position where they could not engage with clients the way they had done it before. You know, nobody was doing virtual or doing in person anymore because of COVID. So they were shifting their energies to think more virtual. A lot of them were completely rethinking their strategic plan. And on top of that, they had a lot of increased costs with trying to move programs online. And then you add on top of that, that a lot of them lost most of their volunteer base because you know volunteers tend to be in the older community. They weren't leaving their homes. They weren't being engaged. Those who were in the younger communities suddenly had children at home that were homeschooling. They could not go out and volunteer and do what they had been doing. And so you kind of add all that and mix it up. And what we found was that organizations were being impacted significantly. And then on top of that, there was this huge gap of services. So when we did the survey, we actually found that organizations saw an 80% increase in the needs that they saw in their communities and that they saw that these were gaps that their organization and other organizations weren't able to um, sustain. And so, you know, some organizations did get some aid, but the need is really outpacing the funding. And so that was a really interesting study. The full report is actually available on the Center for Nonprofit Advancements website. So if anyone wants to go there and see some of the other pieces. We also did a follow-up, a bunch of focus groups in January to get a sense. And that was a partnership with Act for Alexandria to get a sense of what are people experiencing now, now that we're about a year in. And there were some really interesting findings there, particularly around the culture piece that you were talking about. And the first one was that people are still rethinking strategy and operations. So they've moved to virtual, but now they're beginning to think about how do we reintegrate when we go back to being in person. They're really concerned about low morale and trying to figure out how to keep people connected and looking for ways to support people during this time of uncertainty. We also heard that fundraising is top of mind for people everyone is in need everyone is asking for how do we do this the right way without overtaxing or over asking staff in general executive directors are a little bit burned out and staff are tired they're emotionally exhausted and so there's a lot of emphasis on self-care and building better support systems and then i think to no surprise the conversation around racial equity is something that people are spending a lot of time talking about so how do we center race equity with our board how do we center it with our staff how do we think about um, how we're engaging communities in a mindful and thoughtful way and then the last thing we heard was around governance so all those volunteers that we talked about earlier sitting on boards many of them have dropped off boards They have been busy with their own lives and suddenly cannot be as engaged as they want to be. 
Um, so a lot of the organizations that we talk to are rethinking board governance, they're rethinking their overall strategy, rethinking recruitment. So there's a lot on people's plates right now, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about kind of struggling to keep that placehold. And one of the things that, you know, oftentimes during a recession, um, you'll have that dual uh, impact on nonprofits of, you know, increased need for their services and decreased funding and, and revenue. But it feels like with this, there's even more layered on top of that with the impact on volunteers, the impact on boards, having to do your program in a totally different way. It's it's even more so than what maybe organizations had might have been able to work through and, and be, you know, be resilient through a recession or, or in the past, economic downturn in the past. And this just being wholly different. Yeah, and I think to something you said earlier, you layer that on top of the fact that we're all now isolated and many of us are virtual. And so how do you keep a positive, sustaining culture within your organization when people are all over the place? And not only are people working from home, but they're dealing with homeschooling, they're dealing with elder care, they're dealing with lots of other personal life issues that are gonna influence how they're able to show up on the job. And so I think that's important to note too. So this focus on self-care, this focus on building morale, on making sure that people don't feel burned out, that they feel valued, that they're contributing to the organization. I think those are, are really important elements and, and a little bit of a silver lining that we're having these conversations. And how would you say, what are, what are some things that you see are working in terms of organizations being able to address that morale issue? Great question. So what we've seen work really well are for organizations that have really ramped up their communication processes and organizations that have involved staff in these decisions. So we have a number of clients that are having regular touch point meetings with staff. They're doing, some of them are doing things like appreciative inquiry style workshops where they're really trying to think about what's good and what's working and how do we harness that. So they're using staff to brainstorm and to think through solutions to problems. We've seen organizations put together really intentional care packages. So things from you know stipends, or we had one client that is in person right now. And so they partnered with a emotional support animal rescue. And so they're bringing the animals by on a weekly basis for staff to get an opportunity to hang out with them, to be able to sit with a dog, pet the dog for a little bit. So I think people are being really creative, but those that are being successful are doing it with intentionality and they're not doing it in a vacuum. They're, they're, they're involving their staff in trying to identify solutions for how to move forward. That's so key because I, I, you know, way in the before times, way before the pandemic was working at an organization where, you know, there was kind of the sense of like, we're really stodgy and we don't have fun. And so, you know, the CFO decided it would be a great idea to put a, um, a, a, a foosball table in the, in the, you know, kitchen area. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was a nice idea. And two out of the 80 staff would regularly use it, but it just, it didn't fit with the culture. People knew that they would not be looked well upon if they were actually playing foosball (laughs) on work hours. So, you know, involving staff and, and having a conversation about what, what works for us, what works within our culture, I think is super important. Yeah. And it's not always 
these things like foosball tables or, you know, people try to do fun. Those are good. There's nothing wrong with infusing some fun into the workplace. But a lot of culture, as you know, is really built off of what we value and how we behave and how we treat one another. So I think involving staff in these conversations that say, look, things are kind of weird right now and we're acknowledging that. What do you need to be successful? How can we support you? I think having those more, uh, what I'll call more real conversations as opposed to, hey, we bought you a popcorn machine can be really helpful and appreciated by staff. At the end of the day, we all wanna feel valued and we wanna feel heard. And so organizations that are doing that, I think, are able to traverse some of the difficulties that we've talked about during COVID easier than organizations that are not putting time and intentional thought into culture. And how would you say that organizations are dealing with that loss of the volunteer base? I mean, what, what have you seen, uh, what steps have you seen organizations take in that direction? You know, that's actually huge. What we've seen is that a lot of them are completely rethinking their programming and rethinking ways to engage volunteers. So I'll go back to the study that we did with the center, but we found that 56% of the organizations, and this was about October, November timeframe, had transitioned all of their in-person activities to virtual. 62% created entirely new programs, so things they weren't even running pre-COVID. And then another 25% started doing emergency in-person programming, which was also not part of their original charter pre-COVID. And so in all of those cases, being able to think about how do we use volunteers in different ways, it's not just the socially distancing piece, but can we get a volunteer to run a virtual event, for example, as opposed to having a staff person do it? Um, or can we partner? One of the things that we've learned with virtual events is it's better to have more than one person on there. And so can we partner a staff person with a volunteer to help facilitate a, a, you know, a support group, for, for example, or a parent-teacher evening or whatever it is, educational format or whatever it is that they're doing. So I think people are just being really creative, but they're also creating entirely new service offerings, which is interesting. There's a little bit of a silver lining there that it took a pandemic, but people are being really creative and that's a positive thing. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the assumption that you can do things only in person or only online, um, you know, I think after we go back to whatever the, not, not back, but go to whatever the next next normal uh, will be, um, you know, there's, I think there's going to be this heightened uh, um, assumption that, that people can access things online, um, you know, not having to travel and all of those kinds of things. And that's going to be a really that those those kinds of when you're trying to do both at the same time in person and and online is it's harder than doing one or the other so that's going to be a really hard challenge i think but that kind of raised expectation that people have yeah i would totally agree with you i think that we're not going to go back to being in person the way we were i think we're going to end up being hybrid for quite some time people's work habits have changed people have realized that they can work in other environments um, you know, even in my own friend circle, I've had four sets of friends that have moved outside of the DC area and relocated because they've realized that they can do their jobs from anywhere. And so I think nonprofits are not immune to that. I think, you know, they've 
started to create new programming. And I think some of that programming is going to stick. Obviously, the in-person stuff is going to come back too. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to have this hybrid work experience and learning to, to do that at least over the next two or three years. I don't know that anyone has that down pat yet, but you know they're working on it. And I think people are smart. We'll figure it out. Can you give me some examples of those kind of new new programming uh, elements that people have developed? Yeah, you know, one of the really creative things that we've heard is actually around fundraising. So a lot of people, a lot of organizations are dependent on an annual event like a gala or a walk or something that is very in-person oriented. And a lot of the organizations that we work with have been really creative about repurposing and reformatting those experiences. And interestingly, they've actually, for the most part, made more money off of them because they're not paying for all of the, you know, the hotel, the rental, the food, all that sort of thing. The trick there seems to have been to create a personalized experience for the donor. So some of these groups would mail care packages to people's homes. We had one client that did a wine tasting and they mailed the wine tasting to everybody. And then a sommelier came on Zoom and walked you through your personalized wine tasting and groups have music and other sorts of things that are happening in the background. So they're just thinking about how do we, how do we take what was in person and create meaningful value in a virtual experience? And I think that outside of fundraising and operations, we're seeing that on the program side too, right? So how can I connect with my clients in a way, um, maybe we were doing in-person support groups, well, now we can do them virtually. And one client, by way of example, they said that their support groups, which were regionally oriented, tended to have about seven to maybe 12 people that showed up. Now those same support groups have over 50 people showing up because people are no longer tied to the geographic region. You wanna to go to the Dallas support group, but you're in Boston, sure, go for it. And so they've been able to reach more people, have more of a positive impact in their community, but do it in a way that um, has been innovative and, and creative. Yeah, I've heard a lot of organizations talk about, um, you know, increased participation in the, a variety of events or programs that they offer simply because that, that you know, the, the commute time, having to just be out of the office, all of those things are taken away, you know, are, are no longer there. So it just makes it easier. The the ease of entry is, is just there in, in comparison to... Um, you know, going to an event and committing not only to the time you're there, but the time on either end to, to get there and get get back. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember a couple of years ago in the fundraising space, there was this huge trend to have events where you would pay to not go, you know, so like, <laughs> you know, it'd be like a, a fun run or something like that. And someone like me who's lazy would say, eh, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I don't actually want to run. So you were paying to not be involved. In a way, this is another new creative way of thinking about how do we engage people? How do we provide something tangible? But yet you're not actually going to an event, right? Um, but I think people are concerned how much appetite will people have for virtual convening? And it's not just fundraisers, but it's also programming. And I think we're all feeling a little zoomed out right now. 
And so how many hours a day is it healthy to be on Zoom and to engage in, in virtual dialogue with people? I think all that is still maybe a little bit of a question mark. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's an all or nothing, right? I mean, and, and having to do it all the time. Um, I had a particularly long day of, of, of Zooming yesterday and I was just wiped by the end of it. And, and some people that's their reality all the time now. I uh, have the luxury of having a little more control over it. How would you say, um, you know, organizational cultures really need to do in order to, to kind of adapt to this new reality? a good question too. Um, I think that organizations are going to have to start thinking about work in different ways and they're going to have to start thinking about how people communicate in different ways. So some organizations, Zoom is one thing, right? Some organizations were fast adopters of that, others were not. Um, other technologies like Slack or I'm sure there's lots of other mediums out there as well. I'm not extremely well versed in those but the idea of, of thinking of how we communicate in real time, how we manage workflow, um, having even things as simple as having all of your files be on the cloud so people can access the same material, that when we're editing documents, we're not working over each other, but working collaboratively with one another. So I think that as organizations continue down this path, having strong communication strategies makes sense. Doing workflow mapping makes sense. You know, how do we want to work together? What does that look like? I think revisiting strategies makes sense. Um, so much has changed that for a lot of organizations, the strategic plan that they put in place may or may not be relevant at this point. So um, a lot of the groups we're working with right now are actually looking at one year strategic plans as opposed to the more traditional three to five year plan because they're really trying to think about how do we get through the next 12 months? What does that look like? And we'll talk about beyond later. So I think just being flexible and revisiting the what and the how of how work happens is really important. Yeah, going to that strategy piece, um, you know, I think when when people are in that crisis mode and you talked about all the different stressors that are that are hitting organizations. And so it is, you know, about can we can we get through? Can we survive this? And when you're in that survival mode, you know, I, I, I was doing a focus group the other day and was asking about trends in the particular field that those, these folks worked in. And they were talking, we're just trying to survive. I can't think long term right now. And, you know, we know that our brains just don't work that way. Like when you are in crisis, you're, you are short, you know, you do short term thinking. So it's a it's an interesting, um, you know, just just accepting that reality that that's where we are. That's where that organization is. You know, one interesting thing that jumps out for me as you were sharing that we had the opportunity to run a focus group. Um, it's actually more like a large listening session with about 25 nonprofits that we used a, a design thinking process to help them think about what does partnership and collaboration in COVID look like? And it was this really interesting dynamic conversation where people realized to your point, they can't go it alone. So if I am struggling and you're struggling, chances are we're struggling in different areas. So how can I support you? How can you support me? And so getting these organizations together to brainstorm and think about what might a more collaborative future look like? Where could we partner and um, share resources 
share connections, share relationships, maybe even go after larger foundation or larger grant money through a more collective collaborative pool. Um, so having those conversations, I think is incredibly powerful. And it was really neat listening to the different connections that some of these groups were making. And some of them were connections that you would think are sort of obvious, like, okay, we all work in early childhood education, so we could all band together this way. However, some of the connections were a little bit less obvious. People might've been in the same geographic region, or they might've had similar funders or had similar um, interests in the business community where they could bring boards together to leverage resources that way. Um, so again, I think it's just another opportunity to be really creative and mindful about how to do business differently. Yeah, and I love the point that you're making that you know organizations may be struggling, but they they're probably not all struggling in the same way. And something is going well in the organization, and how can they share that with others? Yeah, I, exactly. And you talked about communications. Can you say a little bit more about um, you said organizations that are doing this well are, are really focusing in on that? Can you can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that and how you know if if an organization wanted to spend more time focused on that, what they might do? I think it's about the organization and, and the people within it having real time access and all getting information at the same time. So making sure that everybody has access to information and resources, that people understand what decision-making processes are in place around the information that's being communicated to them, that they understand what next steps are. One of the things that we talk about at the team level is you know, something as simple as putting together a team charter that identifies communication protocols, who's responsible for communicating what we talk about to other areas or groups within the organization. So information, it, it's like water, it's a waterfall, right? It should cascade from one group to the next group and it should go up through the organization as well as down through the organization. So I think groups that are doing this well have an actual communication plan in place where they're thinking about who needs to know what, when, and they're transparent. They're not operating in silos or hoarding information and some of that can be done through technology. Things like Slack, for example, gives you the opportunity to send information to everybody as opposed to maybe an email where I forgot to include a name. But it's not just technology. It's also about behaviors and habits and transparency, which I think is equally as important. Yeah, because oftentimes, you know, organizations kind of relied on informal processes that, that people didn't really think about um, how information was disseminated, maybe a few, you know, key pieces where, you know, an email goes out to everybody, but oftentimes it was much more informal. Oh, you went to that meeting and then you stop by and see somebody and, oh, what that, what did you talk about in that? You know, what were you guys, you know, what's going on with your team? And you don't have those opportunities in a remote working environment to be able to kind of bump into people and have those informal. Uh, so it all has to be much more intentional and much more explicit. And I also appreciated what you said about decision-making because that's, I think, another area where there have been a lot of implicit norms that people have about how decisions get made, but there isn't necessarily a common, yeah, explicit understanding of how that happens. Yeah, we've actually sat down with teams and done decision trees, right? So this is a, a particular type of decision, who needs to be involved, who needs to be communicated with, who's the ultimate decision-maker on this. Um, and what's fascinating about doing that, I mean, it sounds like kind of a boring exercise, 
But what's fascinating about that is you get three or four people around a table, they have completely different understandings of how a simple decision should be made. And you realize these are things we don't really talk about in team meetings. We talk about the work that needs to get done, but we don't often talk about the process by which that work happens. And that brings me full circle back to my passion for sociology and looking at how that applies to an organization because the how the work happens in many cases is much more important and impactful because you, you cannot have an impact or the impact that you want in the community if you're not operating in a way that is sustainable or uh, that builds internal capacity. Yeah, and so that also, that also brings to mind something that you mentioned before of um, workflow mapping and all of these things, you know, if someone's kind of struggling to keep their head above water, they're like, we don't have time to do all of this. And yet, you know, investing a little bit of time in doing these things that can seem kind of prosaic and, and boring can actually um, kind of almost, you know, get, get, get some of the static out of the system because people then have a common understanding. It reminds me of the manager who says, I'm so busy, I don't have time to delegate, yet they're so busy that if they actually could delegate, they would be in a much less stressful position. It, it's sort of that same notion. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So at the end of every episode, I play a game where I ask you a, a somewhat random icebreaker question. Okay. So I know that you, uh, uh, in, in addition to leading Brighter Strategies, you're a professor. So I thought you would appreciate this question. Um, if you could instantly be an expert in any subject, what would it be and why? Ooh, any subject. Okay. So my husband has tried to explain how electricity works to me probably 50 times and I get it. It's like water. That's what he keeps telling me, but I don't get it. I just do not understand. It's like magic. You flip a light switch on and it happens. And I just have never really understood hard sciences were never a strength of mine. So if I could be instantly smart at something, it would be understanding some of the hard sciences, understanding um, how things work so that I could have an actually an, a more intelligible conversation with him and others when those sorts of topics come up. You bring up anything science oriented and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> so it's the how things work versus how people work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what are you excited about with your work? What's coming up next for you and what's what's emerging in the in the work that you're doing? Well, I'm really excited about um, a new project we have. We for February for Black History Month and then for March for Women's History Month, we have, are highlighting clients 
and individuals running nonprofits here in the DC area. Then we're doing little biographies on them and the impact of their work within their community. So we have a couple up on the website already for February and we've got a couple more coming up in March and we're gonna be continuing that throughout the year. And it's just a really awesome way to point out really good organizations doing great work with amazing leaders. So I would encourage people to check out the blog on our website and to read a little bit about some of the amazing leaders that are out there. Well, we will put a link in the show notes to that. So thank you so much. It was great having, having you on the podcast. Uh, it was great to be here. Thanks, Carol. I appreciated Liz's comments about how creative the organizations she surveyed and leaders she interviewed have been in adapting to and managing the many challenges organizations have faced during COVID. I also found her comments about how people's work habits have changed in this past year interesting. People have realized it is possible to do things online that they may not have ever conceived of before. Some things are made more challenging though with everyone working remotely and I appreciated how she talked about some very tactical things that she's seen teams do to make their work together more effective, such as visually mapping out processes or mapping out a decision tree to be clear about who needs to be involved in what decisions. And how a lot of what we've been working on this, this year will stay with us as we move into the world past COVID. And that seems like a theme that I've heard in multiple interviews. It seems like we'll probably be creating some sort of hybrid. And I hope folks take a minute to think about what has worked during this experience that they want to keep and consider when is it really critical to connect in person? What is your organization doing to plan for how you will work after COVID? Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's Mission Impact Podcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out.